It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Listening to At the Edge Think Culture, award winning show bringing knowledge to the digital community. We discuss ideas crossing cultural boundaries to expand ideas about art, writing, knowledge, publishing, and production while contending with challenges about access, virtual space, political context, challenges, and incursion of cyber cultures. Check me out on Afrofuturism.com. So today we have a special guest today, um, Dr. Olive Vassell. Um, she is um, our digital media expert, um, and she is actually uh, the coordinator for digital media. And today, Dr. Vassell um, will be talking with us today about the Black Atlantic and specifically talking about black British women, the power of the pen. So we will be talking today about three black British women from different centuries who are, who are pioneers um, in using the power of the pen and in doing so have highlighted the black experience in Britain and in the black Atlantic. So we will be talking about Mary Seacole um, from the 19th century, 
Claudia Jones from the 20th century and Bernadette Avaristo from the 20th, 21st century. Uh, so, Alice, uh, you were born and raised in, in London, and your, your research um, has tended to be on the African diaspora, especially Black Europe and the Black British media. Um, you've been a journalist for more than two decades, and you've worked here in the U.S. as well as in the U.K. You've founded Euromite.com, the first black pan-European news site, and you've also authored chapters on the black British and the Irish press for the pioneering three-volume Edinburgh history of the British and Irish press. Um, and you've also... Um, published, um, and you're working, and you're also editing Mapping Black Europe uh, Monuments, uh, Markers, and Memories. You're also a Fulbright specialist, um, Fulbright, Fulbright scholar, um, when, uh, with regard to uh, your work with Namibia uh, University um, of Science and Technology. Um, tell us... Um, Tell us about these writers. Um, first of all, thank you very much for that um, lovely um, sort of introduction, Dr. Turpin, Sherry-Ann, if I may call you that. Um, delighted you. to be here. <laughs> and um, <laughs> just, we talk about three women that I very, very much admire um, and that I've kind of looked into um, over the course of my career as a journalist and a writer. And I love the way that these women understood and understand the power that is um, encapsulated in the pen, in being able to tell your own stories and stories of people who are like you. And so let me start with the 19th century and talk about Mary Seacole. Um, Mary Seacole is famous in, in, in very many ways. Um, notwithstanding the fact that she's the first black woman to have a statue in her honor in the um, United Kingdom. But uh, oh, wow. Mary yeah, she's the first, first black woman. Um, that itself is a, a long and probably separate story. But what's yes. very interesting about her was the fact that she was also the first black woman in Britain to publish an autobiography. And she did that in 1857. And I love the wow. title of her autobiography, which is Wonderful Adventures of Mrs. Seacole in Many Lands. Delightful title. <laughs> <laughs> she's a former nurse. She's a feminist, and she's a, she's a sense of humor, too. Very, very <laughs> much that. so. And I highly recommend the book, which is still available today. Um, but when she wrote her book, she, she started off by saying, um, about her intentions, unless I'm allowed to tell the story of my life in my own way, I cannot tell it at all. So right. straight away, she was very clear about why she was writing um, her life story. And she was a woman that was determined to live her life on her own terms and challenging institutional racism and sexism and all of that at that time in that era. And, you know, when I think about her, I think about, you know, how does this happen? You know, how right. do you do that? And, you know, 
maybe can probably we can look to her past, um, her origins. She was born in Jamaica in 1805. She was the daughter okay. of a free black woman. And her mother was what was called the doctress. Um, she ran a boarding house in Kingston, which, which is the capital, as we know, of um, Jamaica. And she catered to um, military personnel and civilians and people, you know, who um, were ill, basically. And she taught Mary traditional African and Caribbean medicine I see. at that time. I see. Right. Quite amazing. Right. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, go ahead. Well, it, it, you know, it, of course, that means that you know, uh, that means that she, that she dealt with the people. She dealt with the folks that everybody else didn't want to deal with. In other words, yes. dealt with the yes, absolutely. Yeah, she did. She did, and she and 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 she held to her own traditions. You know, African and Caribbean medicine using the roots that were grown locally. That the knowledge that had been passed down. Um, from people who had um, been brought to the island, enslaved. Right. And, and, right. and Mary was very proud of her training. And, and you will find out as I tell her story that she was often um, sort of decried for as not being a real nurse because she used um, um, these medicines and these, um, these uh, recipes that came from, you know, African and Caribbean traditions. So that's also very um, interesting when you look at that. Probably saved um, probably saved their lives. Probably saved their lives, yeah. considering what she we now does. know. She of, did. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. She, she really so did. Right. Traditional yeah. medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The traditional right. medicine is very important. And she, she wanted to take that medicine and her knowledge to help British people. You know, of course, you know, her, her birthplace was, you know, a colony of Britain. And so when Britain um, in, became engaged in a war called the Crimean War in the 1850s, she wanted to go to the um, front lines and use her healing um, techniques to help British soldiers who were dying there in, in the horrendous conditions and from horrendous wounds. And so she traveled to, to Britain and said, you know, she applied for some funds that were available for people who wanted to go and help out in the Crimean War, and she was denied. The British government denied her, said, no, no, we don't want you. And she was interesting, she was also rebuffed by the, uh, the nurses, the white nurses that were going to the front lines, including one that I think most people have heard of called Florence Nightingale. Right. Yeah, who okay. was her contemporary. But she was completely rebuffed by these people. And um, she later wrote something I find really interesting. She said, I had an interview with one of Miss Nightingale's companions. She gave me the same reply, which was no. And I read in her face that had there been a vacancy, I should not have been chosen to fulfill him. And how did she explain that? Was it possible, and here's the American connection, was it possible, she wrote, that American prejudices against color had some root here? Did these ladies shrink from accepting my aid because my blood flowed beneath somewhat duskier skin than theirs? Huh. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she was stupid. She wasn't stupid. She figured out what it was. Figured out, uh, figured out what that was. And so, 
that means, you know, people's, you know, people's lives not being saved because of racism. Yes. She knew and she put it down. She put it into words and she did not, all the Victorian propriety, she did not care about that. She was determined, as I said, to tell her own story and to um, expose um, what was going on in the culture and not pretend it wasn't there, which I I greatly um, admired. And of course, like so many others, she went ahead nevertheless. She went ahead with her own funding and went to Crimea and did a great job. And there are accounts that exist um, from that time about her work there. Um, one is from a British soldier. Um, mm-hmm. His name was uh, Dr. Reed, apparently. And he, he talks about how she did not spare herself. If she could do anything good in the rain and the snow day after day, she was at her post. You know, she was doing whatever she could to make sure that these British troops, these white troops, had... Um, the healing that they needed in this horrendous right. war. So, and, again, and that's when it, and, that. and here's, right. And here's what's important. Because she wrote about her experiences, even though she wasn't given the credit that she should have been given, um, we are here in the 21st century. We're in the 21st century. We're experiencing, um, we're having similar experiences but because of what she experienced and because she documented what happened to her, what happened to her people, we now know that this is not a new pattern. And so when people claim that, oh, this is something new, no, it's not. Exactly. Absolutely, and in that fact, you actually just outlined the last thing I was going to say about her, which was the power was in the pen. She wrote her own story, and the way she was even rediscovered was because somebody bought an old copy of her autobiography, and in that old copy was a piece of paper that gave the the um, the um, location of her uh, burial site in a London cemetery. And that was what led to her actually being rediscovered, her work being rediscovered, and led to her actually getting that statue and and a huge first in Britain. So all along, the fact that she used the pen was absolutely fundamental to who we now recognize her to be today. And I think in 2004, I think it was, she was actually voted the most, um, the top black Britain by black British people as a result of this. So had she not told her her own story, we would not know anything about, or very, very little about uh, Mary Seacott. It would have fallen to the historians who who decided to take it on or not, take her story on or not. So absolutely true, you know. And this is right. And this is currency in the 21st century. This is exactly what my mother said to me. My mother is um, she's about to cross over into 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 her 80s. She's in her latter 70s, and mm-hmm. 
as you know, I've had my own health challenges and living here in the United States, you know, it's, this is, we're living in a very interesting time. We're living in D.C., an interesting time. And what has she said to our generation? Um, we're Gen X. Um, so Gen X, um, Millennials, Generation Z, um, we need to be writing. We need to write, and specifically black women, those of us who are um, talented in these areas. And that's what you and I are doing. Um, power of the pen. Power well of the pen. said. Well said. A clear line through history about what that can do for you and for your story and for your people's story. Super important, and, and if, if somebody in the you know 1850s was not deterred, I don't think we should you know be at all. Absolutely, <laughs> right. Um, where, where, yeah. where, where the stakes were really, uh, really you know they they were they were life and death. You know we we face we face that today, but they faced it then. Um, yeah, and they didn't have and they didn't have the technology that we have, and so yeah. we should be using it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. So let's look. Yes. So let's talk about Claudia Jones. Yes. Claudia Jones. Love, love, love Claudia Jones. Claudia Vera Cumberbatch Jones. <laughs> love her. Um, she was born in Trinidad. Um, she was raised in New York. So again, you know, a strong connection to this um, country. Um, and she, um, from the beginnings of her writing, I mean, she understood the power of writing um, from the time she was in high school. Uh, when she left high school, she actually um, started a column in a Harlem journal, which is called Claudia Comments, Claudia's Comments. Oh, and very good. Yes, yeah, so she was writing straight off the bat, okay? And she wasn't able to go past high school because her family was so poor, so... But she still wrote. She still used that pen. Um, she was. Um, she joined the American Communist Party in, in you know, the sort of mid 1930s, and she did that largely because um, of its defense of the Scottsboro Boys, who, um, ah. yeah, as most people know, were you know unjustly accused of you know raping two white women in. Um, the early 1930s. So that's why she joined the communist, the American Communist Party. But it okay. was a problem, as you know, at that time. <laughs> and <laughs> right. um, she was, you know, she, she, she wrote, um, as she progressed through the party, I think at one point she was in charge of its Negro Affairs um, publication, it was called, in the 50s. But she was, she was, in, she was jailed and eventually deported in the mid-50s from the U.S. Um, this is after having suffered a heart attack at only 36 years old. Oh, wow. Old. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, she, she lived and breathed um, um, social justice. She really did. But she was deported, and um, I think there was some issue with her going back to Trinidad, so instead she came to Britain, which was obviously, you know, the colonies and all of that, uh, the right. relationship with, you know, the, the mother country, as it were. And I say that, you know, <laughs> you know the tone in which yeah. I say that. Well, 
obviously, the British I'm, 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 I'm laughing because yeah, I'm, I'm laughing a bit because I, I posted something today about uh, the former Prince Harry. Now he's just Harry, um, who basically had to decide between his black wife and that racist uh, white uh, British press, and he made the yeah. right decision. He did, and I, I think right. that just the fact that he, he was able to see through a different lens was a yeah. really important piece. That that personal lens, because you know the ability to see what you know. Remember, the Commonwealth still exists, so um, you know um, that's again a whole another story. <laughs> but the Britain yeah. that Claudia came to was really, really hostile. And um, um, a few years ago, I interviewed somebody that that was uh, one of her writers on the paper, right. and he told me that, um, you know, many um, employers at that time wouldn't hire anybody that they called, you know, colored, or as they called it, darkies, if they were being polite. Wow. <laughs> Landlady wow. darkies, that was a polite version. Um, and, um, you know, nobody would rent to anybody um, of color because the white neighbors would object, and this is a life that, this is a life that he lived. So he understood that really fully. But there was no real outlet for the black community at that time. You know, white newspapers weren't writing about black audiences, really, except in negative right. ways. Right. So along comes Claudia, you know, and launches this first black commercial newspaper it's called the West Indian Gazette. And she later, which I also like, expanded it to include Afro-Asian and Caribbean news. So she was, you know, the West Indian Gazette and Afro-Asian right. Caribbean news to encompass the struggles of, you know, so many different people who were really um, dealing with, um, you know, colonialism, racism, and, and all kinds of um, isms. So she understood, she understood the picture. Right. Exclusion. She understood the picture, you know, and it's interesting right. that she wore the paper during the um, Notting Hill riots in 1958. Oh. Really? Oh wow! Um, tore you know tore London and other parts of the UK apart. So right. you know it, it was really sort of auspicious. Everything sort of connected in that way. And one of her um, early supporters was uh, Marcus Garvey's first wife. Oh. Amy Ashwood Garvey, yeah. So okay, so this is this, this, yes, this is this 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 makes me, of course, think of the um, the Afro American press, and of course, Ebony Magazine, and um, yeah. and and, and uh, you know the so that this this kind of level. Okay, they're good. They're yes. good. Yeah. Again, it's, it's telling your own stories. And she, Claudia really used the papers, the paper as a kind of a forum for, for the public to communicate with itself, the, the uh, uh, black community, to educate people and to help mobilize funds um, to pay for people who had been defending themselves and arrested and, you know, to help pay their right. legal fees and this kind of thing. So she, she really used that 
um, the paper right. in that way as a tool for social justice. It wasn't just, you know, this sort of organ that just reported, you know, tea parties or whatever. It was a really active right. tool. Of course, he was a, he was just very much. Um, um, and that's essential. This is right. This is essential because you're going to get the you're going to get the mainstream um, version, but you want to hear from uh, you want to hear from the from you know from from our version. I mean, otherwise we would not have known what happened to Emmett Till without Jet exactly. Magazine. Exactly. Um, you know, without Ebony Magazine, we would not have known um, what Malcolm X and what Martin Luther King were really saying. And so you had the national publications like Jet Magazine and Ebony, but you also had the local newspapers where I'm from, Cleveland, Ohio, we have a newspaper that I, is this still a version of it. It's called Call and Post. And Call and Post was pretty much like the Washington Informer here in D.C. And so that was where you went for the local news, for, um, you know, it, that's where you found out where, um, you know, what was really going on. And, and so, um, you know, leaders who wanted to speak to the community, they went to the black newspapers and, and the black press. Um, that was how you reached the people. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I, I completely believe uh, in the power of the black press and its relevancy today. Um, you know, exactly. I don't think it's really any less relevant. And, and I think that it is important for us to know and understand that, you know, that and, and support are the voices yeah. that, you know, that, that do come from a perspective which understands our, our stories, you know. And um, right. somebody like Claudia, and, and, you know, you do pay a price for it. Um, and she, I mean, she certainly did. I mean, of course, like with what is happening with the black press today in, um, here in the U.S., um, you know, money was a big problem, and it was for, it was for Claudia. Also, I mean, it was very difficult. Sometimes she couldn't pay her writers. Um, but interestingly, she really did attract um, attention from, I mean, global attention. I mean, politicians from all around the world um, would come and see her, um, like the Jamaican uh, prime minister at the time, Norman Manley, and she was a great friend of um, um, Paul Robeson. And, um, and I think that... W.E.B. Dubois was also one of her mentors. She, she really understood this power of this collective um, fight. And, and she, used, she made sure that the paper didn't just focus on, on Britain, but that it told stories from the U.S., from the Caribbean, from, from all over, because she understood the big picture. And, uh, you know, and I think that that is really quite um, an in- interesting piece at that time to have this internationalization Right. Um, all so this is really aware of each other. Yeah. Well, and this is actually this is a very this is a, a very important story that needs to be um, elevated, um, particularly as we're seeing more progressive movements. And one of the concerns that I've had all along about the Bernie Sanders movement is that you did not hear enough from Black progressives, Black Marxists black socialists, mm-hmm. 
And yeah. there's this mistaken notion or this mistaken perception that socialism and Marxism is European or Eurocentric or only for Europeans. And of course, if you know nothing about um, <laughs> if you know nothing about any of the movements of the 20th century, any of the anti-colonialist movements, um, you know, if you don't know anything about Homi Baba or Stuart Hall or any of the other um, mm-hmm. movers and shakers, then of course you're going to have that perception, and you're not going to you're not going not going to understand that there's a foundation. It's very much um, a Black Atlantic foundation when it comes to 20th century socialism, 20th century progressive movements um, leading into the 21st century. And one of them, of course, is Claudia Jones. And now we know um, for sure um, that we can look to someone like Claudia Jones um, as an ancestor um, as we do Mary Seacole. Excellent. Exactly, exactly. So well put. That's perfectly put. I think that really, I, mean, I think you really line, lined up, you know, how we can, you know, keep going through time and seeing how the, these trails have been sort of left for us. Um, yes. And, and, and how being in charge of your narrative is so important in that trail um, so that oh, yeah. your voice is always heard and, and documented. I think it's, it's really important. Interesting, this, this same person that... Um, um, told me about um, what it was like to work, um, I mean, to be in the UK and, you know, and not able to find housing, said that the uh, Ku Klux Planner also wrote to the newspaper complaining about it and ordering a copy of it. Oh, wow. They wanted to know what, you know, they wanted to see it for themselves. But, so they wow. were aware of it here in the US. And, I mean, this is, you know, this is a fairly small circulated paper, but they were certainly aware of it because Claudia Jones was, you know, telling stories right. that, yeah, yes. that was reaching right. far beyond the, the, you know, the borders of the island. Clearly. Really, really, um, and, so, quite, mm-hmm. and, and causing quite a, quite, quite a stir, right? Causing quite a yeah. stir. And among those, right. And of course, yeah. You know, there's that fear, this fear of that, this fear of, of you know, folk being able to, uh, to kind of stand up for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, All right. She's quite, so, she's quite unafraid, quite unafraid. And as I said, this really cost her. Um, she was only 49 when she died. Wow. Um, yeah, it, she literally, um, you know, um, She'd had TB, I believe, and, and you know, in her heart, obviously the heart issues from that heart attack when she was um, in her 30s. And um, unfortunately, I mean, she was such a driving force behind the, the newspaper that it only survived four editions after her death. She literally put her lifeblood oh. into that. Oh, wow. Yeah. She paid oh. the ultimate price. She did, clearly. She did. And she so, gave it everything. Wow. Yeah. But now we have so, someone here in the 21st century. Yes. Who, who I is. deeply, deeply admire. Um, you know, I love the work she's doing now, which I'll, I'll, I'll kind of uh, talk about. 
but she was the first uh, black person to win um, the Booker Prize, which is essentially a very prestigious prize. I see. I see. Yes. Right. Best English language novel published in the United Kingdom or Ireland. And um, it's interesting because the prize was split between her and a, and a, um, a writer's name is um, Ma- uh, Margaret Atwood. I'm sure people have heard okay. about. Yes. Okay. And interestingly, um, um, Bernadette won for her eighth novel. So she'd been at it for a while. She's about 60 now. And that novel, novel is called Girl, Woman, Other. And it tells the story, it tells the story from the perspective of 12 black women. And each chapter focuses on, you know, the life of the character. So you've got a lesbian theater director called Amma. You've got a non-binary um, person called Morgan, who was formerly Megan. You've got a Barbadian bride called Winsome. And then you've got a uh, farmer called Hattie. And the characters of the book go, they span 100 years. So it's really, um, it's, a, it's a fascinating read from that point of view. But like her two predecessors, um, Bernardina said, we black, we black British women know that if we don't write ourselves into literature, no one else will. So this understanding right. that you have to do the writing, yes. you, know, you have to make sure you, you, you are in charge of your narrative. Again, you see that thread that keeps coming up time and time and time again. And um, she, rec- she recognizes, I mean, she won the prize in um, 2019, and she recognizes the power that it has. I think only four black women have ever been shortlisted for this prize, and there have been about 300 books shortlisted, so you can kind of see the sort of yes. comparison there. And so... Yeah. What I like about what, what now I want now I want to get everything that she that she's written. Uh, what I like about her is that she's not limiting um, perspectives to um, to gender conformity. Um, yeah. She's not limiting it to um, you know cultural conformity um, and yeah. looking at the the varying ways of being black women that there is no one way. Exactly, exactly. I I love I love that. I mean, I love that too about the work that that she does is that she really is open and willing and unafraid to tell um, stories and to show the multiplicity of who we are. And something really interesting happened when you know the British Broadcasting Corporation, which of course is a state-owned media, when when um, uh, it's one of its presenters announced the winners of the prize. They referred to um, Bernadine as the other author while discussing that Atwood had won the prize. Other author? What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. They said, well, you know, Margaret Atwood has won and another author has won the Booker Prize. Right. So, I mean, need I say more? Of course, that was problematic, you know, um, for many reasons, but it just showed you that um, how they thought of um, Bernadine's contribution and and what she was doing, it was really like, you know, another person, invisible, invisible, as it were. 
So right. that was interesting. Because so it, it doesn't fit a, it doesn't fit a, a specific category that they're comfortable with um, or, or, yeah. or comfortable articulating outside of a particular context or outside their hierarchy. Yeah. So it, exactly. Right. So right. And so if they have not named it, if they have not listed it, then um, you're, you're you know, marginalized or, or, or rendered invisible. Exactly, exactly. In the, twi- in the 21st century, we're talking about. In the 21st um, century. You know, when, and when, when she was the first, when she was the first, as a journalist, I would lead with the first, because that's the story, the first black person ever. You would think that that would be the story. But that really speaks volumes to the state-run um, media, for, for which I used to work at the beginning of my career, so I'll say no more about that. But what I like is what, Bernadine is doing now. She decided to work with um, uh, Penguin, a really big publishers. I'm sure that you know everybody's okay. aware of them. To release yeah. a series of books from Black British authors that essentially have been forgotten or neglected, and the first set of books was released this month. Six books, six novels. Um, and this whole series is called Black Britain Writing Back. So the series goes right. back to Goodness. 1936 and comes right up to, you know, the first six up to the 20th, um, beginning of the 21st century. You so she's do realize what her. she's done. Yeah. You know what she's done, don't you? She's, t- she's taken the Henry Lewis Gates model that he used at Harvard for forgotten Afro-American um, women writers. She took that exactly. and she, she amplified it. My goodness, that is, that is, that, that is awesome. That's a, that's a whole yeah. new area. It really is. And, you know, and, you know, I think there is um, value in us all supporting this, these types of um, initiatives to make sure that voices continue to be heard. And one of the things she said that I thought was so um, important is that, you know, demonstrating that black literature has the breadth and depth and kind of filling in the gaps, the knowledge gaps regarding black work. You know, you you don't really, you know, most of the people on this list are just like nobody's really heard of them. I think C.L.R. James is the only person and everybody doesn't, nobody thinks about him as a novelist. But the fact is this writing has, is there, but it's just been forgotten or neglected. So you feel like every time somebody new comes out, it's like they're the first or that's the only thing, but you can go back if that work is available. You can see how much depth there is to, to, the, to the writing. And because, you know, this is not taught in in schools or universities or or not shown on on TV or on on film, there's this this perception that that there's just no work there. There's just nothingness. So what she has said is it's not true, but you have to have somebody willing to step up. And she has stepped up. She said, now I've got the big spotlight on me with this Booker Prize. I've stepped up and said, and look, there are many, many others going back through time 
and many great works. I mean, this is not just, you know, just can I find a handful? This is important, great work that needs to be read. So I'm really, important really work that needs Great. Important work yeah. that need to be read and amplified, and amplified exactly. digitally. Exactly. Digitally. And that's where digital media and digital humanities come in. And so exactly. um, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right, and I'm telling you right now, as you're talking, I'm seeing the skeletal structures already uh, for something, for um, possibilities, you know, amplification. And so here in, here right here is an example of what um, we could be exploring um, in terms of digital access in terms of um, conversation, such as what we're doing right now. This is a, exactly. this is a, this is a key. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you can see so, why I, so I chose these women. I mean, they're just um, phenomenal in their own right, and the continuity is also very um, inspiring. I do. That yes, no matter where you look, you can see the work being in being done, and 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 models of, of how you can engage, and support. Indeed, absolutely. Well, yeah. Olive, this this was this this was a this this was a this was a beauty. This was absolutely. This is actually uh, quite beautiful. Um, what you've presented today. Um, thank you so much. This will not be your last um, visit to this show, no doubt. And so thank I you. want to invite you to come back and to continue um, to bring us important knowledge such as what you brought us today. Thank you so much for being thank here you so and much sharing for me. your work with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank audience, you. Really yes, it. yes, yes, very much so, very much so. And to the audience, um, please do look at what Dr. Vasso is doing. She's, um, she's an up-and-coming, and, coming, and um, her work um, has implications um, that circle the planet um, digitally. All right. You all have a wonderful afternoon, and um, we're looking forward to spring break. I know I am. All (laughs) right. You take care, Olive. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.